0: Whether you have the right combination of luck and foresight to anticipate when you have to hire people to build your team, you're going to need to know how to hire A players. And that's exactly the topic that my guest Eric Herringhol and I have discussed in this episode of My Quest for the Best. We talk about the differences between hiring A players, B players, and C players, and how to tell them apart. This interview is chock full of practical information that I hope that you'll be able to apply to grow your business. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of my Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Eric Herrenkol. Eric is president of Heronkohl Consulting, and he works as an advisor to CEOs on building superior leadership teams. He's the author of How to Hire A Players, that's described as one of the top ten recruiting books of all time by Recruiter.com. Eric holds a master's degree from Covenant Seminary in St. Louis and an undergrad degree in economics and history from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. He and his wife live in the Philadelphia area. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it. Great to speak with you. Eric, are there any points um, that you'd like to fill in from the bio and share with us a, a little bit about your personal life to get to know you. Sure.
2: So I, uh, I run a boutique uh, headhunting firm, but also do a lot of advisory work with CEOs and with their teams. And I've been uh, started this business back in 2002, so it's been uh, just over 16 years. I live in the Philadelphia area, as you do. I've got uh, – my wife and I have uh, – four awesome kids. My oldest uh, is 18 and just graduated from high school, so we're, we're, uh, we're into the next phase of our family's, our family's life, including having three uh, high school boys at home, or three teenage boys, I should say. And I'm excited and have a real passion uh, for talking about recruiting and, and why I believe it's
1: so strategic for every leader. Well, without recruiting, people don't have companies. That's clear. When you were growing up, was there a particular role model or influence, or mentor that you had that helped get you interested in the area of building teams and being able to bring people together to achieve great results?
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question, you know, and I, as many of us did, I played sports, and, and, and team is always a critical concept there. But, you know, I was in, involved in a group called Young Life. It's a, it's a religious, youth-oriented organization and I just had a particularly strong leader His name was Bob Perkins. Uh, this is, you know, back in the day. But I learned at age 15 the power of leadership and that leadership could be multiplied, that, that leadership was not about one person leading a whole bunch of followers, but that great leaders lead other leaders and what it means to be a part of that type of team. And I, I think probably I know actually that my fascination with leadership and what good leaders do uh, started, you know, when I was when
1: I was in high school through that experience. What's a lesson about leadership or multiplying other leaders that you still remember today from that experience?
2: Leadership is relational, um, and it comes from investing in other people and weak people may follow you because you're well-known or because you're the smartest man, the smartest woman in the room, but strong people will not. Strong people require attention. One of the quotes I like is from Ross Proe who said, Eagles don't flock, uh, and that's true of strong leaders too. So if you, if you want to attract, and in, in our discussion here, hire and keep, great people, then you're going to have to be prepared to invest in a few and to have that team really be the the core that impacts the many. Uh, That's one of the lessons I took from that.
1: And today, companies contact you when they have issues regarding their leadership process and helping evaluate top people to bring into their organizations. What are some of the frustrations or misunderstandings that people have about the recruiting process.
2: I think that people view recruiting, and this is true, so it's, it's, it's not that it's false, it's incomplete, but they view recruiting as an extremely transactional uh, business. It's a, you know, I need a guy, go get me somebody. You know, you make some phone calls, you send some resumes, and, and, and then you hire the best of whoever shows up. There, there is something to that, particularly to the recruiting business. But leaders, I think, and this goes back to my earlier point, uh, are people who invest in other great people. And I really, all my recruiting philosophy really builds from how relational leaders can strategically invest their time and their effort in ways that will help them to attract and keep uh, the best possible people around. them.
1: So what's a specific thing in addition to needing attention? Let's dive into that a little bit deeper. With some of the, the clients that you deal with on a, a week-in and week-out basis, maybe there's an example of someone who they wanted to keep someone, but they really didn't understand how to nurture that person or to uh, reward that person or acknowledge that person. What is it that's different about A players that many people, even those who have them working for them, really don't understand?
2: Well, depending upon the person, A players can be difficult in the sense that they don't necessarily just accept first time an answer is given. They don't accept an answer at face value, um, and they can be a hassle from that perspective. So, um, you know, I've got uh, a client of mine in the consulting industry, c- consulting um, in healthcare and in other areas. I had, uh, you know, a big team, I mean, couple hundred people you know at least in this kind of boutique consulting firm and one guy who, who really fit that bill he was extremely knowledgeable knew the client very well um, but he wouldn't just do what he was told and ultimately you know my client ended up uh, firing him this is when I was not involved but they, they, they fired him because they couldn't figure out how to get him to be a team player and that's a sp- specific situation, knowing that particular person, where investing some time with that individual, getting them in the right role, getting them lined up, was, would actually have paid off. And I think they would have been able to keep uh, you know, a, a rock star around as opposed to jettisoning him and then having to, having to just try to make do with the B players who were around that person.
1: That's a loss for a company, and I'm sure that takes place for people who are... Who are listening to this interview, and they're thinking to themselves, "Gosh, you know, we've lost people like that." And they were—they were disagreeable, but when they came up with things, they always had real value to offer.
2: And just to build out that for a point, because there are there are disagreeable people who we should who who we want to leave. <laughs> so I think there's a difference between disagreeable and people who are behaving poorly because they're not being—they're not getting the attention and being treated the way that they need. I think leadership is different from parenting. But think a little bit about, you know, with our kids. Sometimes your kids are just acting horrifically, and you just, you know, it's their problem. Other times they're acting poorly, but if you're honest with yourself, it's because you haven't done the best job with them in that particular situation, and they're they're acting out. Again, employees are not children, but I think that helps to kind of bring into focus. One of the things that we as leaders need to do is examine the situation and and to ask ourselves, you know, is this a situation – where I may be bearing some of the blame for how things have turned out.
1: Yeah, and to take it a step further, thinking about what steps that of leaders that you see who are able to attract and retain A players, what are some of the questions that they ask themselves on a regular basis that those who don't have the ability or the comfort level to attract and retain A players aren't asking themselves or behaviors that they're not doing? What What have been some of your observations?
2: So in addition to the things that we've touched on, I do think that self-awareness is important. I do think giving some thought as to whether a person is being difficult because they're just a difficult person or if they're being difficult because they're being placed in a difficult situation and not getting the support and the resources that they need. That's number one. However, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, the other thing that I would say would be that often leaders don't have a plan B, meaning You've got a valuable person, meaning they have a valuable set of skills, but they're very difficult, and they're just difficult people. I mean, they're, they're toxic employees. They're not doing what we need them to do, and they don't have anybody to take that person's place. And what's one of the messages that I preach uh, all the time is that you've got to have a plan B, and you've got to have a process for having a bench of talent. Um, because that's part of the key of knowing how to deal with that person.
1: So when you go in to talk to people about maybe filling a spot that's occupied by someone who's a high performer but not necessarily playing well with others, what are some of the things that you encourage them to do before they look to replace this person in terms of a plan and a process? Do you have an example that might be helpful to illustrate?
2: I do. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've done is is done some work with uh, consulting and professional services firms. And this was actually a fairly small firm, probably about 35 to 40 people, although in their niche very successful. And um, there were two, uh, two lead partners, Mark and Larry, and they brought me into this company to do kind of a full range of, of, um, of leadership and management coaching. I worked with them for about six months in that capacity. And it, one of the things that I told them is that, listen, you've got to overcome the is it you or is it me problem with this particular high value person and the is it me or is it you problem is saying is exactly kind of what i was referring to before you have somebody who's not behaving well you're not sure if it's their problem or your problem or both but when you follow the, some of the steps that i outlined with them setting goals providing accountability investing the time you know listening doing those types if you've done that for a period of time and you're still getting the same toxic results at that point you've got to make a change and you have to you have to know how to have a, what I call a farm team of talent so that you've got people to draw from that are going to enable you to, to appropriately confront that toxic
1: employee. One of the um, things I like very much about the book, how to hire eight players, finding the top people for your team, even if you don't have a recruiting department, is the breakout boxes that summarize some of the key principles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, you talk about Involvement creates buy-in. So involve your leaders in a conversation about being an A player hiring strategy. What are some of the questions that go into the strategy that many executives fail to consider?
2: The principle of involvement creates buy-in I think is applicable in all kinds of situations. And one of the things that I that I really emphasize with leaders is that you've got to get your whole team involved in recruiting. Um, so it's important that you take it seriously but once you start taking it seriously, your management team has to take it seriously and your employees have to take it seriously. And I have an exercise that I take my clients through uh, called an A-player profile. And it's how do you cre- – you know, you define A-player performance for a particular role. It's, it provides a lot of insight. It ends up in a, in a scorecard that you can use uh, to assess candidates. But it's very important, because involvement creates buy-in, to involve hiring managers and then even involve people in the role – in creating that scorecard. One, it gets you a lot better insight because they, they, they either oversee or in the job, but two, they're bought into the outcome. <laughs> if you're asking them to use that scorecard to interview candidates, they've been a part of creating it, and so they, they will adopt
1: it as opposed to just stick it in their desk drawer. That's really interesting. I think that's crucial because when you put something together into a scorecard like you described in the book, it externalizes all of people's hidden assumptions. It says... This is a factor that we want to consider. Here's how we've agreed to weight it. And everyone's working off the same scorecard, which gives people, you know, a much better idea of, of how to evaluate a candidate who's come through. What, what's what been some of the breakthroughs that you might have seen people experience as they start to use the scorecard and the eight-player sure. profile?
2: Yeah, so, you know, a couple things. I, I do a lot of speaking uh, both for corporations and also for trade associations and CEO groups, and I'll often take them through this exercise and encourage them to take the exercise back to their management team and, ha- and, and have people walk through it. And what's, it's fascinating, one, that you take it back to your management team and your management team has a completely different perspective on the role. <laughs> right. And that's very important to understand because, as we all know, I mean, that, that lack of clarity or lack of alignment, can create all kinds of problems in multiple ways, but it definitely uh, creates problems uh, when it comes to the recruiting process. But I think I've also, you know, I I, I work with a lot of of small and mid-sized businesses, but I also work with some very large companies. And so I've got a a multinational Fortune 50 company uh, where I came in and did some work with their North American supply chain team. And by going through this uh, this scorecard process, we were able to d- distill what they kind of knew in their gut but weren't able to articulate, which is a B-player leader for them was the smartest man or the smartest woman in the room. They, they knew all the technical knowledge, and they told people what to do. They were directive. The A-player leader probably had the same level of knowledge, but they asked questions rather than telling people what to do. And so we're able to cultivate a whole other level of employee engagement that one insight extrapolated across 40 North American plants, uh, everybody on the same page in terms of, of looking at their leadership hires, that made a
1: significant uh, difference,
2: you know, across the supply chain operation for that business.
1: And you were able to boil it down to something that is absolutely observable. In the conversation, does the person talk about asking questions in their, in their examples and replies? And do they demonstrate the ability to ask effective questions? That is so crucial. I bet you that was a real eye-opener when people started seeing that in action.
2: It was, and, 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 and I totally agree with the points that you've made. And In addition, to go back to what we touched on earlier, it, it was in some ways it was all the more powerful because they derived it. it mm. when, I, when, I, when I came up with the, with the distinction between directive versus coach – Maybe that was, may have been my wording, but it was their ideas. And they said, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, that, you look across our plant managers, look across our supply chain. They bought it, they owned it, and they used it. And that is why that kind of process, for instance, of, of creating that A player profile with that team ends up being so useful.
1: One of the other things that was really interesting is the idea that C players often sell themselves better than A players. Talk about how that can be confusing for people who are part of the hiring process. Sure.
2: Well, you know what? We get better, better at things that we practice. <laughs> so so there are, there are C players who are nice personalities, you know, and they're nice people, uh, and they've worked in good organizations. If you really look at their resume, they've hopped around a fair amount. Uh, they've never really gotten traction, but they're able to articulate their accomplishments in a way, at least on the face. Um, that seems like to pass the smell test and so if your average hiring manager who's not really has not really been trained in terms of how to peel uh you know peel the onion back and and pop the hood on candidates and figure out if they're good or not they might buy it and say wow they sound you know that guy sounds good versus the a player who's been someplace maybe same company three or four promotions but they've been there for 12 to 15 years let's say they, they haven't really even interviewed since college. You get them on one of their first interviews, and they just seem rusty. They don't seem that good. They don't seem like they're able to articulate their accomplishments. The fact is, that person may be phenomenal, but she just is uncomfortable blowing her own horn, at least at this point, you know, in her uh, interviewing process, and so she doesn't come off as well.
1: Are there particular questions, in addition to the awareness, are there particular questions that people could ask to help find out whether someone is an A player, even if they're not coming across as boldly or as confidently or as self-assuredly as someone who's more practiced at selling themselves.
2: I, I think that starts with putting people at ease. Some fundamental stuff that we probably all know, but you know, better to sit at a conference table uh, than b- behind your desk and Better to engage in some small uh, talk up front to just kind of warm things up. But then you just got to give people time. And I always say the most important interview question is the follow-up question. So you were, uh, I would ask you a question about your accomplishments. You were to give me an answer. And I would say, interesting. Tell me more. If, if you give people time, they are either going to kind of be able to open their treasure chest and show you that there's all kinds of great stuff in there. Alternatively, you're going to give somebody enough rope to hang themselves. Because if they really can't tell you in detail how they were able to accomplish that thing or what specifically their role was, then you start getting the sense that, you know, they sound good initially, but when you start peeling it back, there's some real weaknesses there that need to be detected. You know, I
1: can certainly relate to that. When I worked for a large company, I worked for Apple, there were people who loved going to meetings. But there were many of us who liked to just get the work done and didn't want to go, you know, talk about it in meetings and talk about, you know, how much we were accomplishing. We wanted the results to speak for ourselves. And when one of these people who I'm thinking of would go to a meeting, they'd be able to read off the bullet points. But as soon as they were asked, so why did you decide to do it in that order? Or why was it, why did you decide to lengthen it by this much time? They would always say, I'd have to get back to you. And then they would come to us, <laughs> try to help us, try to help understand so they could get back to someone else. And that's that really speaks to what you just described.
2: It does. And you know, that's a great question. Why did you decide to do it in that order? That mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very hard to fake a good answer to that question. And people who don't know will either say I'll get back to you or they'll start, you know, broad brushing and speaking in vague generalities and, you know, and then we we've, we've started to accomplish our goal.
1: That's right. Now, for people who are listening to this and thinking of stuff Oh, I'd never want to make somebody uncomfortable in an interview. What would you say to them if you're leading a, a, a session at their workplace and helping them understand the importance of not only qualifying people but disqualifying them?
2: So I'll tell you where I would start specifically with somebody who is uncomfortable as I actually go back to the concept of the A-player profile or any type of scorecard. Meaning people feel uncomfortable because they feel like they're drilling somebody, you know, like they don't want to whack them over the head. And what people need to understand who don't feel comfortable in that mode is what we're doing is seeking to elicit enough data from the individual that we can compare their performance to a standard. In this case, an A-player profile. We've defined a scorecard for the role. And all we want to know is whether that person is a good fit for the job. And second, I would say to that person – Part of what you're doing as an interviewer is, is helping to ensure a good mutual fit, good for the company and good for the person. The worst thing in the world for the person is if they are able to talk themselves into a job for which they're not qualified because that means, you know, they don't do well. They may well get fired. It becomes a, uh, a slip on their, on their resume. That doesn't serve them well. So you're serving both your employer and that individual well, by knowing how to be a good interviewer and knowing how to disqualify people because you're not disqualifying them as a human being. You're just saying, hey, listen, I don't think this job is the best fit for you. And it's better to find that out sooner than later. Absolutely critical for everybody. And, and anybody who's listening to this who's done any hiring, <laughs> you know, they probably don't need to be talked into that because we all know making a bad hiring decision is just so incredibly painful in terms of time money, and emotional anguish, anything that we can do to avoid it is good.
1: One of the other things you talk about at length is the importance of giving A players the attention and resources to be successful. And one of your A player principles is A players don't want to be taken for granted. Make sure they know where they fit in the future of your business. So few companies really talk to, in my experience, anyone in their organization about the future beyond a couple weeks. What do you tell people to make it a better environment for ta- attracting and retaining A players in the, the way of talking about the future of the company? How do you help them get to that point so that it becomes an attractive place to work?
2: Yeah. You, know, you started off by asking me about my early, you know, my, my early leadership experiences, and I think a lot of this does go back to my time in young life as, as a high school uh, student. There are not that many – Great leaders out there. So if you invest in your own ability as a leader, if you get better as a leader, you you become a more attractive person for whom to work, uh, and you become able to attract better people. So I would say there's an incredible opportunity, and always has been, and I think it's even growing To say you're going to take the time to invest in your people, and if you're going to invest in them, they have to be. Uh, worth investing in from a business performance standpoint. So, I, again, this to me is a full circle thing. You, you, you say, I'm committed to finding and hiring the best people I possibly can, whether it's a receptionist or a CEO or anybody in between. And if I hire the best, then I'm going to take the time to make sure that they're successful. And if you do that, good things are going to happen.
1: This is a, a book full of really practical insights and tools for leaders, and especially those involved in the hiring process from a day-to-day standpoint. How did you get started with the idea that a book was needed, Eric? So I,
2: it just, it became very clear to me
1: that very good business people,
2: and, and you know, that's my clients, I mean, these are good business people, and they run good organizations, but that there were real opportunities to take good and make it even better. So, you know, for example, um, one of the first companies that I ever worked for uh, was $100 million-plus uh, sales incentive marketing company. And um, it was a terrific organization. And uh, Sam, the CEO, was still one of the best uh, entrepreneurs I've ever met. But he was completely committed to only hiring salespeople from the industry. Cause they understood the industry, and they were supposedly going to bring a book of business. 100% committed, said he wouldn't look at anybody else, except for his top two sales guys. One, uh, both came from outside the industry. One had sold printing. The other had sold beer. And those two together, I'm, I'm telling you, they, they, it was 90% of the sales were on their two backs. And yet he persisted. And uh, it was a blind spot. And he's a business guy, but not necessarily uh, a people guy in some ways, in some ways. So I I just, I think there's a big opportunity to help really good business people and really good businesses step back, take a look at what they're doing, and say, hey, listen, if we we turned a few knobs uh, and tightened a few screws around here, we could up our game in terms of the level of talent that we're attracting in really
1: meaningful. See, that's interesting about the CEO's blind spot. Many people think that you have to meet with someone personally in order to really benefit from what they have to share, yet aren't there ways to be able to help groups develop their talents and skills, especially in the hiring process, without having to actually fly there and spend time with them, but to give them the insights and ask them about their process and offer those tune-up ideas um, without actually having to travel.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I dial in all the time into conference calls, whether it's via phone or via video conference with teams, uh, management teams, sales teams, and and inject some of these ideas into their conversation. And uh, I also do a lot of just-in-time coaching. So companies will kind of have me on a, a, you know, call you, we'll call you when we need you plan.
1: Kind of a retainer. Exactly. You got it. And what is it that companies, in your experience, maybe in the last six months, have been struggling with that have led them to, um, make sure you're on their speed dial?
2: Well, in the last six months, the talent markets have really heated up there was, and so it has gotten tougher to find and hire, uh, the best. And one of the issues I'm dealing with on my clients is the velocity of hiring, meaning you've got to be thorough, but you've got to be quick. Um, Another topic is counteroffers, and that's something that I, I spend a lot of time with companies on: of how do you how do you deal with a top candidate getting a counteroffer, and, and how do you successfully land the best people?
1: Eric, with the consulting work that you do, speaking to different association groups and private corporations, do you have a particular um, tool that you use to stay focused and on track, or a particular process that helps you stay uh, attentive to your priorities on a day-to-day basis? And you know I've
2: actually I try to um, to take my own medicine as much as I can in terms of understanding what makes me an A player. One of the things I find is that uh, senior business people are often not operating uh, like a players because they're spread too thin. So for me, from a prioritization standpoint, I want to make sure that I'm allowing time for myself to think, to write, Uh, and to share my ideas with my clients because I think that's where I really bring the most value. And then all the other things that I do, um, I'm either delegating out or getting done later in the day. But I find if I can start every day with that kind of two or three priorities and then see which tasks line up with it, that that really
1: helps me stay on track. And what's the most effective way you've found to get in front of and meet people who could benefit from your services? and to learn about the successes you've had and the methodology that you use.
2: Well, you know, one thing I would say would be there, there, seemed, there always seem to me to be a handful of leaders in every group and every podcast, every group that I address, with whom this message just really resonates. And, and I just love to have one-on-one conversations. I mean, I do a lot of speaking in front of large groups, but, you know, if people reach out to me, I'm always glad to take, uh, you know, 10 minutes or so get introduced, hear a little bit about them, answer any questions that they have, um, and, and, as I kind of as I said, you know, invest a little bit in that relationship, and often those folks will call me, uh, you know, for follow-on projects down the road.
1: Well, Eric, you've been really generous with sharing some of your A-player top thoughts with us here today on My Question Best in describing your book, How to Hire A-Players, Finding the Top People in a New Team, Even if You Don't Have a Recruiting Department. You talked about the early influences of the Young Life Youth Organization and how it left an imprint and an impression on you of the importance of bringing together top people. You talked about some of the, the misunderstandings and missteps of not having a plan B and how that's really costly to companies. We talked about the importance of how to look past the strong impressions that C players might make It's just because they're more experienced with interviewing versus A players and to really give them the time in order to tell you more. The points you made about finding a fit were super, super important and I hope everyone listening really took note when you talked about how it's important that your job is focused on eliciting data in order to compare it to a performance standard and that performance standard comes from the profile and scorecard that you mentioned earlier and that the second part of that was making sure that the role is a good mutual fit it's to everyone's benefit to have that so eric i'd just love to thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best
2: thank you I really appreciate it
1: and eric what is it that you'd like people to be thinking about in terms of making their hiring process even more effective starting today if the ideas i've discussed resonate with you
2: then really keep in mind that recruiting like leadership is a team sport so buy into it personally, but then get your managers and get your staff bought into it as well. Everybody in the business uh, ought to be thinking like a recruiter.
1: So if you're interested in finding out more about talking with Eric Herring-Cole and learning more about some of the ways that he helps companies be more effective recruiters, Eric, tell us where we can find more out, out more about you. Do you have a website that you'd like people to go to?
2: Yeah. Uh Easiest website is Crowbar Recruiting, which does have two R's in it, so C-R-O-W-B-A-R-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-I-N-G, crowbarrecruiting.com. We'll take you to my website. Feel free to send me a note, sign up for the regular newsletters uh, that I send out, and, uh, you know, would love to be in touch.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together. And I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.